This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Part of growing in masculinity and becoming an authentic gentleman is learning from the saints and from the men of history. Today, we're going to go through and have some fun finding the seven manliest men in the Bible. And while we do that, we're going to talk about what it is that made them so manly. Stay tuned. Today's handshake or manly virtue is speaking the truth even when it's unpopular. Some of the men we're going to talk about today were bold, holy men who were not afraid to confront uh, the errors of their day. Now, this must be done with prudence. We're not talking about uh, being a reckless firebrand that just calls out everyone for the sake of starting fights. But we are talking about uh, speaking the truth even when it's unpopular. Standing firm in that, not letting the pressure of the world change your mind or uh, cause you to conform to its standards and values, but standing firm in eternal truths uh, and not being afraid to speak them when it's time. We encourage you to subscribe if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform or if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to hit the subscribe button and click the bell as well to get notifications when we release new content. And then we'd also like to invite you to consider supporting us on Patreon. Uh, producing high-quality content isn't free, and we want to keep doing this for you and, uh, and offering the best co quality content we can. So consider supporting us and helping further this work. All right, Sam. So to jump right in, start with the bang. Number one on our list is Judas Maccabee. And so for uh, those of us who are unaware, it's, uh, you know, the first and second uh, book of Maccabees in the, in the Bible. Um, we had the third son of Matthias, who was Judas Maccabee. And he was basically everything you would think of as the archetype of a man, right? He, he was a warrior, but he was also devout in prayer and inspired by God, as it says in Scripture. Mm -hmm. um, and since he was the third son... It was interesting that he would be uh, placed in charge of, yeah. of uh, after his father passed, right. of the, of the um, revolt and the army that he was leading. Um, but it doesn't really seem that there was any uh, concern uh, from the older two right. brothers because of uh, the way he portrayed himself. And we'll see that in other um, people we go through. But Yeah, so he, he led a revolt against one of the most powerful armies in the world at that time, the Syrian army. Yeah. It was almost kind of a, the ultimate underdog story. Uh, and while ultimately um, yeah, he, was, he was killed in battle, yes. correct? Yeah. Um, you know, it was, it was still an incredible act of courage on his part to face up against these incredible powers, knowing that God was on his side. Yes. That's one theme you'll see through all these holy men that we're going to talk about today, 
is that their courage came from the fact, not their own strength and power a lot of times, mm. um, which is, is sets them apart from worldly men who are confident in their own strength, their own prowess, their own strategies, um, and their own abilities. But a lot of these holy men, they were incredible men, yeah. but they also placed their confidence and victory ultimately in God's uh, provision, God being on their side, God fighting for them and with them. That's what gave them incredible courage to fight against all odds, humanly speaking, Yeah, um, and to stand up for what they were convinced was right and the truth. That's, the, that's exactly correct. Uh, one thing about uh, Judas Maccabee uh, that uh, why I thought it'd be good to start with him is because Maccabee uh, many biblical scholars uh, say is, um, you know, from some Aramaic of um, hammer, right? Yeah. So, you know, why does he have this last name? You know, well, he was the hammer. And by uh, why that could hold true, and one of the fun stories that we hear in Scripture is that when he, uh, when um, uh, Apollonius uh, was, um, you know, just had ransacked Jerusalem and uh, was calling out Judas, um, Judas came and met him on the battlefield. Yeah. And he basically, uh, you know, they they flexed muscles, you know, they, there was the, the saber battle. And, um, and what is really interesting, and I, I like bringing this up, is that it says in scripture that when Judas slayed Apollinus, he took out his sword, he took out Apollinus, Apollinus's sword and used it in every battle uh, going forward. So he didn't use the sword that he used to kill Apollinus. He actually took out Apollinus's sword as an act of victory and then used it to slay Syrians for the next, <laughs> rest of his life until he uh, passed away. So there's uh, there's something mic drop in that. <laughs> in that. And we see that a lot. We're going to see that and come up with it, this idea of the sword, right? And in uh, the New Testament, I know the sword uh, is obviously, uh, often referred to as the word of God. You know, mm -hmm. it's also in battle, right? And, and um, picking up the sword. But there was something very unique in in the the sword there that uh, that scripture that God in um, inspiring the writer of scripture wanted to call out that not only did he slay this man who had taken over Jerusalem, but uh, Judas decided to use his sword, his um, you know the the sword of of this uh, anti um, um, Jewish. Uh, individual Assyrian and used it to slay Syrians, you know, for the rest of his yeah, life. Yeah, it's very symbolic, yes, yeah. of of victory. Um, but also, too, he was an incredibly devout man. Yeah, um, and I think that it, we need we need to take that into serious consideration about what made Judas Maccabeus great. Yeah, was the fact that he loved the Lord his God with yeah. all his heart. Yeah. You know, and you look at. Again, like a worldly leader like Napoleon or yeah. something. Their mindset was just empire building. Right. I just want the biggest empire. I want everyone to serve me, essentially. That's right. um, but you look at a, a soldier like Judas, mm. he was absolutely 100% devoted to the cause of God mm. and freeing his people so that they could worship in the way that God had called them to. And there was absolutely no egotism there. Yeah. There was no uh, striving for worldly glory. 
it was 100% about God and his people and liberating his people from a yoke of uh, godless oppressors. Yeah. And when we think about us as men and the struggles that we face or the things that we want to accomplish in life, whether it's in the business world or in some other capacity, that should always be our motive. That's yeah. the biggest lesson I think we can learn from Judas Maccabeus is we may not be called to start a revolution or lead an army. Right. Maybe we are. Yeah, I mean, then if you are, then by all means <laughs> do it. But if you're not, yeah. um, that you can still learn the lesson of being 100% devoted to the cause of God and to serving him above all and shedding, setting aside those egotistical goals yeah. that so often can be tempting to us. Ah, so true. Um, but love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the greatest commandment. Yeah. And love your neighbor as yourself. Serve. Yeah. Um, for the good of others and the common good. Absolutely. And he was so strategic in how he he approached battle and, and approached life, but that was one thing he never let go of, right? Yes. And, yeah. and we see that throughout was how he was... Um, it constantly just says that he was inspired by the spirit of God, you know, and it was just mm-hmm. like, you know, that was his armor. And we'll see that, you know, we see that in, in the Old Testament with Moses and with Noah and with different individuals of how God spoke to him. But um, enough of Judas. We move <laughs> on to uh, one of our favorite characters in, in, in the Old Testament scripture, and that is the character of Samson. Mm-hmm. And um, I, Samson is a man that I think we can all, um, we see the warrior, but we also see the lover in mm-hmm. Samson, right? Yeah. How he had uh, two wives. And uh, for those of us, uh, just uh, some fun back, right, is that Samson was um, superhuman. And he uh, would, um, when he found a Philistine woman that he wanted to make his wife, his parents said, no, no, don't do it. Uh, this is, uh, you know, an abomination. Like, you cannot uh, wed a Philistine woman. Yeah. And Samson didn't heed, he didn't honor his father and mother. He didn't heed, heed that commandment. And he decided to go and marry uh, the Philistine uh, woman. We don't know her name. But, um, but it's so interesting because as he was going to basically claim her as his wife, he met a lion on the road to wherever she was living <laughs> And he was given the strength of God, and he ripped the lion into pieces with his bare hands. (laughs) And so how many lions do we have in our own life that we wish we could do that? But it's going to have to be the strength of God that gets us through it. So Yeah. Well, and I think the important thing to remember about Samson is that he was called by God. And he was anointed by God and had incredible giftings. Yeah. But he was also a flawed and complicated man. Like you said, you know, he had two wives. Mm-hmm. I mean, just speaking personally, one wife is a lot of work. <laughs> so, you know, and I'm just kidding. Love my wife dearly. <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, two wives, you know, and then, of course, his downfall came um, from Delilah, you know, the woman yes. that he uh, kind of had seduced him. And, yep. and so he was a man of powerful passions and instincts. Yeah. And while he had superhuman strength, Physically, yeah, um, he hadn't achieved that inner strength, that inner discipline, and yet he was still called by God. And so, I think the lesson we can take away from yeah. Samson's life is that God can use us sometimes despite our faults and failings because mm-hmm. it's not about us. That's right. At the end of the day, 
God had a mission for Samson that was greater than Samson. Yeah. You know, and as despite all his complexities and his failings and his flaws and his, you know, objectively even like um, failures, humanly yeah. speaking, yes. God still used him for a purpose. And, you know, I, I personally expect Samson will probably be in heaven, even yeah. though he was a sinful fallen man. Yeah. Um, because he was faithful when it mattered most. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that we can all learn is we've all got flaws and sometimes they can really bother us. Like we're very aware of them. Yeah. But just realize it's not about you. Place yourself in God's service and he can still use you even though you're sinful. Yeah, absolutely. The story of Samson too is one of, so he was the last uh, uh, judge and he was a Nazarite and he in that it was very interesting because he was called by God to um, to judge the Jewish people that had lost, um, you know, gone astray. Mm -hmm. And he, um, in that, uh, there's just some really riveting stories about what he did to um, to basically show God's might. And in one of them, um, you know, the story is just filled. It's littered with these sort of things that basically uh, he got into an argument or he got into a riddle battle with um, 30 men and they uh, seduced uh, his first wife to um, to give him the answer to the riddle. And mm -hmm. then instead of uh, giving them uh and that he had to give them a wardrobe of uh, these 30 men, a wardrobe. And so he went off and he killed 30 Philistines um, <laughs> and then took their wardrobe and, and gave it to them. And then when they found that out, um, they, uh, they uh, took uh, his wife. And so then what did Samson do next? And again, it's just one thing after the other. The next thing he did was he took 300 foxes and he tied their tails together. And then he put a torch on every one of their tails and made them run through the crops and burn all their crops. Yes. And so then the Philistines killed his wife. And then Samson, and this is the, I guess the last story worth telling, is that Samson with the jawbone of a donkey or the jawbone of an ass, killed in in retaliation um killed a thousand um philistines with the jawbone of an ass mm -hmm. and i gotta be humorous in this and we just have to ask like what was number 985 thinking like <laughs> that after 984 people had been slow slewed slown, slain. Uh, slain thank you from <laughs> with the jawbone of an ass what was that person thinking had they already just basically given up at that time um, but it's humorous, and I know that the the overarching thing is that with the strength of God, the impossible, you know, can can happen, and yeah. um, and that strength can can come forth upon us, and that God was always there to protect His people and defend yeah. His people, and He's there to protect us today. Well, and I think too another kind of warning that comes with Samson's incredible power is. You know, like the old Spider-Man saying, yeah. that, with great power comes great responsibility. There's wisdom in that, though. There's truth in that, in that God gives us strength and giftings and uh, abilities and skills, and we can use those in a very selfish or destructive right. way because God also gives us the gift of freedom. Mm. He, he places a call before us. He places a mission before us. He places responsibilities before us 
And we can choose to reject those. God gives us that freedom. Mm. So Samson was a man of incredible power. Did he always use that in a responsible way? No. Truth be told, no. <laughs> and that's the thing about all, all these characters, and especially in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament, um, is that we see that oftentimes God gave them gifts, abilities, calls, but they could resist that. Yeah. They could fight that. They could fail. You know, you look at like a character like Jonah, mm. anointed by God, but mm-hmm. he ran away from his responsibility many, many times yeah. until God finally got through to him. But that. he gives us the gift of freedom, and we have the responsibility to use that wisely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, number five, you wanna? Well, this is this is a, a prophet that uh, I really feel drawn to for some reason. But mm. Elijah, mm. I think he uh, is an incredibly uh, an intriguing figure. Um, yeah. He was a, he was a, he had a gift of healing. He even raised someone from the dead once. Um, and he also was an incredibly bold uh, preacher at a time when the Jewish people were being unfaithful to God. Yeah. Um, they were being seduced kind of by the, by the Baal worship or the idols of foreign peoples. And of course, as we see throughout the old Testament, God didn't tolerate the Jewish people being unfaithful. And so he anointed Elijah to preach to them, call them to repentance, to call them to return to faithfulness uh, to the God of Israel. Um, And I love the scene, like the ultimate culmination of this mission that Elijah was on to call the Jewish people back. And it culminated in this moment where there's this big showdown yeah. with the prophets of Baal, yeah. uh, essentially. Um, and they were they're all arrayed against him. And in fact, they were on this mountain, mountain and there's a big, huge crowd of, of the Jewish people there. And they were all siding with the prophets of Baal. And yeah. they were probably, I don't know, we don't know. I can't remember if scripture mentions a number. Yeah, there's probably that. like 40 prophets of Baal there. Yeah. And they were all like... Doing everything they could. Yeah, yeah and they were all like whipping the people up into a frenzy right. and getting them to turn against Elijah. But Elijah, with incredible courage and boldness, says, all right, let's, let's see whose God is more powerful. Yeah. All right, we're going we're gonna to slay two uh, cattle yep. and, and we're going to set them on the altar and we're going to call down fire from heaven. Yeah, fire. And whoever's God responds... That's the real God of Israel. Yeah. And the prophets of Baal are like, sure, let's let's do it. Yeah. Um, the Jewish people are like, yeah, yeah, Baal's going to be the God that responds. And so they all get, all the prophets get up there, uh, dance around their altar. They, you know, scripture says they were even like cutting themselves, like yeah. trying to call down, you know, calling on Baal to send fire from heaven. Nothing happened. Nothing happened at all. Yeah. Um, and then Elijah's like, all right, you've had your chance. And in fact, I think they were even there. If I, I, I My yeah. memory may be mistaken, but I think they were there for a couple of days. Yeah, I think it was a long uh, uh, yeah. uh, back and forth. He yeah. gave them a chance. He did. You know? <laughs> but then he gets up and he yeah. says, dig a trench around my altar. Yeah. Pour gallons and gallons of water, water mm-hmm. on top of this sacrifice so that we know there's no tricks, no funny yeah. business here. Uh, if this catches on fire, we know that it was supernatural because um, because something that's soaking wet doesn't usually catch on fire. Yeah. And then he began to pray. Yeah. And eventually, a huge 
pillar of fire just comes down from heaven and just lights that thing up. The yep. ultimate barbecue. That's and the prophets of Baal are absolutely horrified. And all the Jewish people are there are like they just like fall on their knees and they realize that the God of Israel is the God of Israel. It's not Baal or some other false god. Amen. And then Elijah gets up and, you know, triumphantly, you know, says, you know, basically, I told you so. Yeah. And has all the prophets of Baal killed um, so that they can't seduce the people again. Yeah. Um, Just a powerful moment of complete courage and confidence against all odds. Everything was stacked against Elijah in that moment. But he was, again, just completely confident in God's power, completely confident that God would not fail in that moment. And he was right. Yeah. And if I, uh, I like how you brought up the putting the water down, because if I remember correctly, I think at the very end that 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 like giant tongue or tornado of fire that came down went and like sucked up all the water at the very end. It was like, like how, like every single bit of that scene was a set of blaze with, with uh, Elijah. And, and I would say Elijah's whole story is, is filled with that of fire. And I know that uh, the book of Sirach and Ecclesiasticus uh, refers, I can't remember the chapter in the twenties, um, 24 or something like that. Um, refers to Elijah's word, um, on a, a fire, yes, you know, yeah. and that, uh, that he had that ability again, going back because God was anointing him. God yes. was inspiring him through these things. But I also liked, and as you were talking, um, like how many times do we have a Baal worship in our own lives? Right. Yes. How many times does sports, money, sex, uh, alcohol, like these sort of things, uh, become that which we, um, are worshiping and controlling us. Right. Yeah. And we think that's going to bring us happiness. Mm-hmm. And I can think of it in my own life too. You know, when I have, when I have attached to something, um, you know, that <clears throat> I enjoy, uh, then it, it gets out of hand. Right. And yes. we start making, um, a vain God, uh, you mm-hmm. know, out of, out of one of these, um, one of these vices. And so, um, you know, Elijah's there to remind us that God is all powerful, that God mm-hmm. can help us through these things, but we have to be anointed by him and we have to be turning to him uh, and listening to him, right? We have to be that monk. We have to have that time of prayer uh, in our daily lives to uh, to always turn to him and then to, you know, as, as we said in another episode with St. Catherine of Siena, you know, be who God made us to be and we can set the world on fire, yes. you know, and that yeah. passion fire, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, emotes this, this, um, nature and this understanding of, of passion and, and, and just blazing zeal, you know, yeah. that he had. And I think it's, um, a really, uh, great, uh, archetype of man, a great man. And then even at the end of his life, right, the chariots came down and in fire, you know, picked yes, him up and right. took him away from Alicia and, uh, and so, so we have this, this story of a prophet that's beginning and end of his life and even other books in the Bible, you know, just talking about his passion that God anointed him with, you know, through the power of fire. And so, yes, exactly. Not a sword, it was fire. So Yes. Well, and the next, that kind of leads to another fiery oh, individual yeah. mm-hmm. uh, in scripture and that's St. Stephen. Yeah. And he's a, he's a martyr that I really love. Me too. He's the first martyr in the yep. church. Um, and St. Stephen is one that we actually named one of our children after. Um, but just a beautiful, holy soul. But again, incredible courage, incredible yeah. courage that he displayed um, throughout his life, but also in those final moments yeah. of his life. Yeah, make it something uh, we do, I do. I read um, 
on his feast day every year, um, the story in Acts of, of St. Stephen, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's part of the domestic church, you know, that, that, yes. that we have. And I likewise, so St. Stephen is my patron. Uh, we named our second son after St. Mm-hmm. Stephen and Maximilian Colby. So unintentionally chose two martyrs. Um, so I don't know what yes. that means for my little uh, four or three-year-old uh, Stephen, but uh, yes, his, his ability to not get emotional mm-hmm. when every sort of attack and rebuttal um, and and uh, accusation is mm-hmm. placed against him. I would get emotional, right? I would I'd be struggled to think clearly because I'd be getting so emotional. But Saint Stephen's clarity, you know, was upon him, and his his ability to just not only strike down those arguments, but then to to directly, you know, put a put a, a metaphorical sword into their argument and to, into what they were saying, caused them to be in such a frenzy and it. such an emotion. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, and we know that St. Paul or, or, you know, Saul at the time was there with them, as it says, um, and they just went and they had to stone, um, they stoned them. Yeah, you know? they couldn't handle it. I mean, you, know, you see this with a lot of the martyrs, yeah. but... But a natural human reaction when you're being un- you're you're under attack, mm. especially by like a mob, yeah, is is the classical fight, flight, or freeze. Mm-hmm. Basically, your instinctual brain takes over in those moments, yeah, and you're you're concerned about defending yourself. You're concerned essentially with survival, yeah, um, and. The beautiful thing about the martyrs is we see the exact opposite Obst- reaction. Amen. Complete peace, complete calm, even joy yeah. in those moments when the whole world is turned against them. That's right. And that shows you that, that the hand of God is really on them in those moments. But I love that account in Scripture, especially the moment when he goes through this long you know, sermon kind of yeah. against the, the Pharisees. But then he at the end it says, you know, he saw... Heaven opened, yeah. you know, and he saw Christ sitting at the, the right, right hand, hand of God. God, or standing at the right hand of God, and yeah. his face shone like that of an angel. Yeah, like he was a, a, just a beautiful soul. You know, martyr means witness, mm. and what Saint Stephen was was martyr doesn't mean somebody who dies, although that's usually the form that it takes. Yeah. But it means somebody who witnesses to a higher reality, yeah. the existence of a higher reality, someone who bears witness to the truth. And that's what St. Stephen did. He, he witnessed to the reality of Christ. Um, the, the, the Pharisees, the Jews of that time, had rejected Christ. They yeah. didn't believe that he was anything supernatural whatsoever. Yeah, and, and the miracles that were happening around there yeah. were concerning to them, right? right? And so they had to reject that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's ultimately Stephen's greatest uh, gift, I think, is a radiant witness to the reality of Jesus Christ and to his lordship. And, of course, he was killed for that. Yeah. Um, But he did it with joy and with confidence and with courage, um, even though it cost him his life. Yeah, and then can we imagine, um, you know, in ourselves that you're literally being stoned and hit by rocks, you know, and... Instead of worrying about your life, mm-hmm. you're worried about the souls of those that are stoning mm-hmm. you and forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do, yes. you know, and that St. Stephen, as he's dying, those are his final words, yes. you know, or some, you know, variation on on that, uh, that, you know, he is 
so consumed with the Holy Spirit and with um, with uh, God and and Christ mm-hmm. that uh, he's not worried about himself. Right, mm-hmm. salvation or or eternity for him is is such a lived reality. Right, that he wants. He forgives in that moment, yes. and he doesn't want them to be held accountable so that they too can experience that reality of heaven. Mm-hmm. And talk about love your na- or love your enemies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what a witness uh, to doing that, yes. my goodness. Right. So, um, great. Okay, number three on our list, and this is one that both um, Sam and I uh, can appreciate. And I think every man, you know, listening can as well is, is King David, right? Mm -hmm. King David experienced, um, all sorts of, um, ebbs and flows of spirituality and life. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we have him as a youth before he killed Goliath and he was a musician and he was a liar player, and Saul needed to to have some sort of calming um, presence, and so they brought this little David to come, mm-hmm. and then we had him anointed by God, as we get even with Saint Stephen and these others, mm-hmm. um, anointed by God to slay uh, Goliath, and then we get him Saul worried that uh, David is going to t- you know usurp his throne, and so right. then David runs away, and then Saul's mm-hmm. dead, and David comes back. And then um, he has, like, I, I don't know if you could count how many wives he ends up having, right? Yeah, <laughs> he has, right. He has like eight or nine wives. And, and then the one, obviously, um, uh, Uriah and um, uh, Bathsheba. Bathsheba, yeah, um, is, uh, you know, he, he, he sins greatly against the Lord. Yet scripture still says that King David was a man again, translation differences after God's own heart, mm-hmm. a man, you know, attuned or accustomed or, you know, aligned to God's own heart. I mean, that yeah. I named my uh, firstborn son, David, after King David, Yes. but this little struggle with sin and he was gone. I mean, he, 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 he didn't repent for a year as scripture says, um, you know, he held on to that. And then um, and then his son, uh, the firstborn son of um, Bathsheba, uh, died, and that caused him to to repent. You know, and then um, and then we get obviously Solomon, who um, you know was from that relationship, um, but he also runs away too when one of his sons, um, you know, starts building and gathering a, a troop of army of men, and then. Um, and then the King David, the mighty King David, who slew Goliath and has brought together unification in all of Israel and Jerusalem, mm-hmm. not just the King of Judah, you know, but the King of, of all of Israel, um, runs away because his son is challenging his throne. Right. And so we get that, um, we get that ebb and flow, which is so much like our own lives, yes. you know, but God never abandoned him. So. Well, and we've talked about several times yeah. the, uh, different for lack of a better word, archetypes of manhood, yes. where you have the warrior, the poet, the lover, the hero, things like that, and the king, of course. But David was all of those at once. Yeah. He was an incredibly complex and nuanced character who embodied all of these attributes in one time. Really, I would say foreshadowing Christ Yeah. in a sinful and fallen mm. way, but foreshadowing um, the full humanity of Christ but David was 
Um, ultimately, why was he a man over after God's own heart? I would say because he was a passionate lover of God. Mm. Throughout his life, you see, yes, him struggle and fall. Yeah. But ultimately, his heart was for God alone. Yeah. And he, um, you see this in the Psalms, kind of the full spectrum of human emotions. There's triumph, there's defeat, there's fear, there's tragedy, there's joy, there's repentance. Yeah. And what you see in all of those is that ultimately David's heart was completely given to God. Yeah. And that is what made him a great man. It wasn't his accomplishments on the battlefield. It wasn't his, um, you know, political leadership of the of the Jewish people. It was his heart was God's alone. And that is why Jesus was called the son of David. Yeah, ultimately. That's right. He wasn't the son of Solomon or the son of Saul or any other Jewish king. It was it was David. And I think, too, another beautiful thing that we can learn from David was he didn't want power and glory. Yeah, well, he was a humble man. Yeah. And they had to kind of hound him a little bit to get him to become king yeah um and so his he was not concerned with worldly glory yeah again his heart was god's and that is why he was called a god after a man after god's own heart i like that and you uh, just the proverbs uh popped into my head um and i know that proverbs says the righteous man falls seven times yes right but returns to god and the unrighteous man falls to his eternal damnation. Yeah. Like, um, you're exactly right. The the thing with King David was, you know, even in his human weakness and in his human failings, and I would actually say because of his weakness mm-hmm. and his failings, God was able to use him, yes. right? Because if David was puffed up, if David looked in the mirror 10 times a day and struggled with vanity and just thought, how amazing am I? God would, you wouldn't have been able to use David, you know? Which is what we see in his son Solomon. Yeah is that he kind of got conceited. Yes. He knew everything he thought. You know, he thought he had all wisdom in his in his hand. Right. He built an incredible, he built up, you know, the city of Jerusalem to unprecedented levels. Yeah, exactly. Um, his temple was mind-blowingly incredible. And it went to his head. Yeah. And he fell in, in really a tragic way. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yes, David was... A man who fell seven times but got up eight. That's right. Amen. And that's a lesson for all of us. I love it. The John Wayne quote, right? You know, yeah. he settles up anyways. And uh, and he sure did. So that's great. Um, wonderful. So number two, right before the end here, is we come to St. Paul. And mm-hmm. so we know with St. Paul, um, so much of the New Testament is written by St. Paul. And so much of the activity of St. Paul's life is detailed in Scripture. Right. Yeah. Well, St. Paul, too, I love because he's, some, he's a man that I think a lot of men can associate with mm-hmm. in that he was a performer. Yeah. You know, I think the Pharisees had some, you know, 430-some laws that they had yeah. to follow. And they also had lots of other laws that they had recorded like um, in, in extra scriptural yeah. um, laws that they had kind of come up with as well. Just incredibly difficult for anybody to live up to that standard. And yet St. Paul said, I mastered it all. Yeah. You know, I was a doctor of the law. That's right. You know, I knew scripture inside and out. Um, I knew all of the best theology of my time. And yet uh, God humbled me. Yeah. And I think we see that with On the Road to Damascus. He's going to zealously persecute this new sect of 
people called Christians, yeah. you know, who he saw as a threat to the Jewish religion. Um, and his zeal for God, he thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill these people. They're heretics. They're yeah. a threat to the Jewish faith. And yet, on the road to Damascus, he encountered Christ, That's and right. it changed everything for him. And he was, he was blind. And I think what, yeah. is, what was significant about him being struck blind? You know, oftentimes the power of sight is what gives us power over the natural world, yeah. right? Mm. You know, mastery. Yeah. We, we see how things are, how they work, and we learn how to master them and control them. Mm. I think St. Paul had a real control streak. Yeah. Where he wanted everyone to do things his way. Oh, absolutely. That comes straight out. Yeah, I agree. And by being blind, he was struck. He was made helpless. Yeah. In fact, it says, you know, he had to be led around by the hand because he couldn't see. That's, That's right. a humiliating thing for a guy who is powerful and, that and is, controlled. And strength, yeah. And um, so he was struck blind, and, and really it wasn't until um, someone else prayed for him, interceded for him, that he was healed. Yeah. And um, so, uh, and he, but he went on to be used by God powerfully. Yeah, and how he embraced that humiliation, right? Yeah. Not only was he transformed, but he also embraced that humiliation. And we see that he boasts in his weakness, right? right. And um, we also see in St. Paul this idea of falling seven times, right? Yep. It's St. Paul who talks about how you, you know, please pray for me, lest right. I, you know, run the race and fall at the end, you know? Right. Like there wasn't once saved, always saved attitude in St. Paul's life. Like he was persevering and he was, he was going to do everything he could. He's thrown in jail we don't quite know how many times but but multiple times he was and and he saw that all to the glory of god yeah you know? he was scourged he was stoned yep. i mean basically he went from being the top dog religiously speaking yeah. to being despised hated chased out of town um and he even talks about how some of the early christian churches yeah they would mock him they, they might say negative things about him and he talks in like second corinthians how he went from being, you know, a powerful man to being kind of stumbling around. Like he's like, my words weren't very elegant. Yeah. You know, I wasn't as bold as I maybe should have been. But, um, you know, I glory in my weakness, you know. Yeah. And again, there's like this whole inverted thing that happens where, again, he's from goes from top dog to really humbled. But that allows the power of Christ to flow through him. Yeah. And what allows him to start some of the, you know, most... Uh, churches that are still in existence today to this day yeah. there's still churches in the world that are can trace their lineage all the way back I, I'm when I say churches I mean yeah, like Catholic no. churches Just, yeah they can trace their lineage all the way back to St. Paul's Paul. missionary efforts yeah praise God um, so no it's really incredible good. man it is and I also want to point out one other thing about St. Paul is the conflict that he had with St. Peter mm -hmm. right and that conflict comes out a couple times in Scripture. And um, and as we both know, St. Peter's the first pope, right? right. And an uh, apostle of Christ, yeah. you know, um, uh, St. Paul, uh, you know, was not until, you know, after his conversion, but he was one of the original 12. And we had this arguing of the of the Jewish laws and circumcision and customs and stuff like that that they would debate and they would argue and often it seems like if you I couldn't imagine what it'd be like if I was there but if you were there like these two guys were so zealous mm -hmm. that they just 
couldn't see each other, you know, um, clearly that they just, you know, and how often do we get into fights with other men like that? Mm -hmm. But both of them, we have the, a unified feast day of Saints Peter and Paul, right? Yes, on the calendar. That's beautiful. And both of them were serving Christ with their zeal and with their, and how yeah. God calls all of us. You know, you and I are different in many ways, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but he's calling both of us, you know, to this ministry of the Catholic gentleman and to to helping and to assisting uh, with calling men to holiness. And that's what he was doing with St. Peter and St. Paul. But their their arguments and their feuds didn't separate um, their love for Christ and their unity in that love for Christ. Mm -hmm. And I just um, I like to bring that up because it's um, not often that we get this um, these two powerhouse saints Mm -hmm. um, in the Bible that, uh, just disagree on, on quite a bit, you know, mm -hmm. and then, um, they find a way through, you know, St. Peter was still the first Pope and we still have the church with us today, mm -hmm. but, um, but their human nature still comes out. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, and I can't imagine Peter and I know, you know, Peter fell and had to, um, um, had to accept Christ three times and, um, and stuff like that, but he was the first Pope. And so, but Peter doesn't play that trump card. Although you know, you, you kind of you kind of feel like if I was put in that situation, I would. You know, but it's all so fascinating to uh, to learn from and discern. But I think the end uh, result is that God calls many of us, and neither of us um, are or no man is is lesser because mm -hmm. of his um, uh, his opinion or you know or his uh, direction or, or how God is anointing him within. Uh, to be used uh, within the world so yeah exactly so this has been very objective um no it's been obviously very subjective and we uh we have the number one but before we get to number one uh there's some honorable mentions that that we should we should list yeah and so one humorous honorable mention that i like to list is shamegar who is also a judge um just like samson but Shamgar only uh, slew 600 Philistines. Oh, with, that's it? That's it, exactly, wow, right? Man. So he didn't quite make the cut of the top seven. <laughs> <laughs> he only slew 600, not 1,000. Uh, like, uh, um, yeah, like Samson slew 30 with his eyes closed and then slew 1,000 with, uh, with the jawbone of a donkey. Um, but we had Shamgar who used um, a, a goad, which was like uh, something they used to prod oxen, move ox around. And uh, and he happened to, to only get 600, right? Oh, and so, so disappointing. It is honorable uh, mention, yeah. right? Not the list. <laughs> well, I have an honorable mention, yeah. I think, is Moses. I mean, yeah. he was another incredible uh, leader of the people of Israel, but stood up against the Pharaoh of Egypt mm. after he had been part of the Pharaoh's family for yeah. so long. I mean, he had all the power as an Egyptian prince, essentially. Yeah. Um, and he walked away from that all to go into the desert um, and herd sheep for a long time. Yeah. But then God called him back to confront really one of the most powerful empires in human history, the mm. Egyptian, the Egyptian Pharaoh. Yeah. Um, and challenged him to let the, the Jewish people go. Um, now, keep in mind the the Jews at that time, enslaved as they were, were really the foundation of like the Egyptian economy. Yeah, if they lost that that slave population, 
they would lose in a tremendous amount of power and influence as a as a nation. Yeah. Um, Pharaoh did not want to do that. No. But Moses stood up to him time after time. And one thing I love about Moses was when God first called to him, he was like, "No way! Yeah. I can't speak. I stutter. I, I'm That's not right. eloquent." You know, please just call someone else. You actually see this with a lot of the prophets, yeah, like do. Jeremiah, Jeremiah. Um, or some of the other ones where they, they resist that call of God. Like, yeah. I'm so young, I can't do this. Please send someone else. And yet God doesn't give up. He just says, no, I'm calling you. Yeah. And it's not about you and your strength. It's about me and my strength. You're just the vessel for that. I'm calling you. So I think for all of us, like, we can learn from, from Moses and any of these prophets where it's not about us. It's not about our, our weaknesses. In fact, the weaker we are, a lot of times the more God wants to That's use us. right, and the more he's capable of using us. Yeah. I completely agree. Yeah, and so... Well, looking at the fathers of the Old Testament, there's another honorable mention in there, and that's uh, Noah, uh, yeah. right? So t- talking about Noah, if uh, some uh, listeners don't remember, um, I believe Noah was like 500 years old when he got called by God to build the ark, right? Mm-hmm. So he had lived generations <laughs> of men. And could you imagine 500? The good thing about ready Noah- Ready for retirement. That's, I mean. right, that's right. He was, he was ready for retirement. And he had been taking care of his body, and he never let sugar touch his lips and he had been drinking from Berkey's and he, he knew he was healthy and he was 500 years old. And then God called him and, um, and the, the building of the ark, we hear different things, right? And, and, um, neither here nor there, but 50 years or 70 years or 75 years to actually build the ark, right? So this 500 year old man, you know, who had three young sons, you know, had to, had to build an ark. And something tells me that Noah wasn't just sitting back in his lawn chair and, and, Pointing all his sons to do everything for 75 years, yeah, right? Yeah. He was actively involved and he was passionate. Now, obviously, we know from Noah that he was a righteous man yeah, in a time. All of which time he was being mocked and ridiculed, by the way. That's right. Mocked and ridiculed. But that didn't that didn't stop him, right? And the sins of man had become so thick and so deep in society and in culture that God was just going to wipe all men from the face of the earth, right? Mm-hmm. And so Noah was called to um, to basically start mankind over. Yeah. And um, and these can be hard things for us to to relate to. Not the sin of culture. That's not hard for us to understand and, and to relate to. But but that sort of thing. And so Noah, I can tell you, any man that's five hundred years old called by God to build an ark for seventy five years deserves honorable mention on the yeah, list. Yeah, and I would say too, like, and you see in all of these characters that we're talking about today, mm. God asks them to do things that are objectively speaking, yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. And impossible. You know, yeah. like stand up to the Pharaoh. Uh, you know, stand up to a horde of, you know, Baal's prophets. Yeah, a or, thousand men. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. You know, and over and over again, you see these individuals being faithful to that inner call. So anyone who's listening to this, what is God calling you to do? That might seem, according to the world standards, yeah. crazy or insane, but you can't shake that call. You know that God is asking you to do it. You're gonna, he's asking you to step out in faith. What is, what is that in your life? And s- take that step of faith. Yeah. Launch out into the deep 
and see what God does with you. That's right. You might be surprised. Agreed. So moving from the Old Testament into the New Testament, we got some honorable mentions here too. And one that I like to bring up um, is St. John, right? Uh, St. John the Disciple or the Apostle. And, um, you know, it's my namesake, so obviously we had to put him in as the honorable (laughs) mention. But um, St. John displays another aspect of masculinity, um, that of love. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And that of sincere and pure love. Right. And we know that he was uh, um, uh, the disciple whom Christ loved. Mm-hmm. And we know that um, he was there and, and given Our Lady, as we all were, but at that moment, given mm-hmm. Our Lady to love and mm-hmm. to take care of. And that example that St. John gives of love, that mm-hmm. example of, in a degree, sensitivity, right, mm-hmm. right. Um, to to love, to, to something higher. You know, we don't have um, St. John uh, slaying a thousand men or even 600 men, right? Mm-hmm. We don't right. have him standing up to Pharaoh or to beca- becoming a unifying king of, of Israel. Mm-hmm. But we have something more profound even in, mm-hmm. in St. John and that is that of love to guide our relationship with Christ mm-hmm. and all that we do. And so yeah. it's it's really um, a powerful example of, of masculinity. That Yeah, and I think, too, one of the manliest things that St. John did uh, was to be with Christ at the foot of the cross yeah. when all the other disciples fled. Yeah. They all, you know, they are all full of... Uh, braggadocio and bombast yeah. at the Last Supper. Oh, Lord, we will never abandon you. Right. We'll go with you to your death. Yeah. And then when the going got tough, they all took off. Yeah. But St. John was there. Yeah. He wasn't the one bragging and boasting, but he was the one that was faithful with Christ to the end. And um, yes, I think he's a beautiful example of uh, loving faithfulness. Yeah. Uh, we like you said. We don't think of love as a very manly attribute, and yet it is. Yeah. Um, you know, and some of the saints too, like Saint Maximilian Kolbe, got made fun of sometimes because he was so in love with the Blessed Mother, so in love with Christ. Yeah. That he really got kind of sentimental sometimes. Yeah. And yet, um, it was it was a a manly thing for him, and it drove him against you know all of his physical health failings and things like that to be an incredible, zealous missionary. So love is a manly attribute. Yeah. If a man isn't a lover, he's not really fully a man. Yeah. He's lost touch with part of his humanity. Amen. He's a parody of a man or yeah. caricature. I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. And so so happy to bring St. John into the mix here. Um, another one is obviously St. Peter. You know, uh, we know as the we know his uh, story of his martyrdom in scriptures. Mm-hmm. We know uh, St. Peter's fall. In, uh, in in the Gospels, we we know uh, his re- reconciliation uh, with Christ mm-hmm. and the beauty of that, and how God chose him. We know him running to the tomb. We know so much about uh, Saint Peter. But as as the first Pope, as the leader of of the new Church, uh, as the leader of the uh, the Holy Catholic Church, um, you know, there's um, something that absolutely has to be brought up and said about St. Peter and in his role as as an authority figure, physical, the vicar of Christ here on earth after Christ had left. Yes. Yeah, and I think St. Peter gets a bad rap a lot of yeah. times. We focus on his failings or we focus on his his rashness or his 
um, you know, denying Christ three times right. and things like that. And yet I think this was all part of the training process for being the first pope. Yeah. Christ wanted someone who could lead with boldness. Yes, at times that boldness manifested as rashness or... Yeah. Um, but St. Peter was the one when all the disciples were scared, got out of the boat and walked on water at Christ's command. Yeah. He was... He, he took the steps that needed to be taken. Um, he stepped out in faith. Um, and Jesus knew that the church needed a leader who wasn't afraid to act. Yeah. And that was St. Peter. Um, his holy boldness was his greatest failing and it was his greatest asset. Amen. Um, and Jesus trained him for three years, despite all of his failings and flaws, to be the leader of the church. Um uh, Someone once said, you know, the, the, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Yeah. And you, what you often see, again, this theme through Scripture of weak men yeah. being chosen by God to do great things. Yeah. Um, and St. Peter reminds us of that. Absolutely. And so our final um, honorable mention. Yeah, and I think this won't really come as a surprise to a lot of people, yeah. but it's St. Joseph. Yeah. And this is the year of St. Joseph. Oh, okay. I think the Holy Spirit is really doing something, drawing attention to St. Joseph. And a lot of people yeah. have been talking about St. Joseph recently to the point where some people might roll their eyes and say, oh, here we go again. Yeah. But I think there's something that the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us right now at this point in history. And he wants us to have a holy masculine example. St. Joseph, as we've talked about on our episode about St. Joseph, is was a man of action. Yeah. He, he didn't brag. He didn't boast. He didn't talk a big game like a lot of men do. He just acted. Yeah. And with complete fidelity and faithfulness, immediate obedience. Um, and he was um, the father to the Lord Jesus. You can't ask for a bigger responsibility than that. No. And he didn't shrink from it. No, not at all. And we have an episode on St. Joseph that we did that goes in more depth into the masculinity and the uh, ultimate gentleman, as we said, of, of St. Joseph. But uh, yeah, it doesn't come as, as any surprise. And, and I'll just take a moment here and say we didn't include Christ in this list because obviously we know. Yeah, it wouldn't be <laughs> fair. Yeah, Christ, uh, you know, is, is the epitome of all and the center of our, you know, lives in, in reality. And so, um, so but with St. Joseph... Uh, his his um, acceptance of his role as the um, husband of Mary and the foster father of Jesus, mm -hmm. and flying to Egypt and um, and raising, uh, find, you know, bringing him to the temple and the census, and, and raising um, raising our Lord and, and teaching him a craft, um, you know, is in in the fact that it was all done in silence right yeah. is um is just the the power of saint joseph where he didn't need the 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 fire fiery words of elijah you know mm -hmm. to to take on his role but he did need to accept perfectly and with uniformity god's um chosen uh, you know will in his life yeah i i think the beauty of St. Joseph's example is how ordinary it is. Yeah. A lot of these guys that we've been talking about in, in Scripture did incredible things, superhuman things yeah. almost, um, miracles. And yet St. Joseph, there's no recorded miracles. His life mm -hmm. was, from all objective standards, pretty ordinary. Yeah. 
Um, and yet, I think there's a lesson in that, too, is that all of us men can sanctify our often very ordinary lives. Yeah. You know, I live in the suburbs. I go to work every day. I don't have a very exciting life. And I would say a lot of men listening to this could probably say the same thing. I'm not out there doing miracles. I'm not out there calling out the powers of the world. Yeah. Um, challenging them, showing them down. I'm not leading armies. I'm just a husband and father. That's right. it, right? But St. Joseph shows us we can sanctify even those ordinary moments and make them great in God's eyes. That's right. Maybe not in the eyes of the world, mm -hmm. but as we see throughout Scripture, the things that the world considers great are often insignificant in God's eyes. Things the world considers insignificant are truly great in yeah. God's eyes. And St. Joseph shows us. That's right. And like St. Joseph, we are no less chosen um, by God right. to do great things, regardless of whether right. they're great in the eyes of the world yeah. or not. And so uh, we love St. Joseph. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. Thank and and so that wraps up our seven. Uh, you know, there's a couple others, Joshua and Jacob, and you can add your own right to it. Uh, we didn't, we should, St. John the Baptist, right? Uh, the greatest of, of men, you know, born of women. Uh, so uh, St. John the Baptist there too. But um, anyways, we're, we're so thankful uh, for you to listen, all our listeners here and, and joining us as we went through these, these seven. So for the nightcap today, because we're talking about warriors and because we're talking about uh, Judas uh, and his sword, Judas and his sword, yeah, and, and um, uh, yeah, the the sword, uh, the sword, the word of God, and um, oh, and actually, Saint Paul's symbol is a sword. That's so, right, yeah. exactly, and actually, Samson's sword. Um, he, or sorry, David. David used the sword of Goliath to That's cut off right. Goliath's head. You know yeah. what I mean? So anyway, so I have um, an old buck knife, right? Made in USA. And we'll try and zoom in, um, you know, uh, so that everybody can see this. But this was my grandfather's um, uh, buck knife. So it's got this uh, this leather sheath here uh, that's really nice. Um, it's going to last. That's going to outlive me. And, um, and then we've got uh, this six and a half inch um, you know, buck knife here that, um, is, is so strong and so, um, uh, I guess really powerful and how it feels. It feels heavy. Yeah. yeah it's, it's it you know, it's incredibly heavy and it's got that, you know, it's, it's the whole blade is inlaid throughout the whole handle here. And, um, again, this, um, I don't actually know when my grandfather picked this up, but it was passed down and it has come to me and it's a six and a half inch blade. And you're like, my goodness, what am I going to go have like a back alley brawl or something? But no, uh, these are used obviously for hunting. Um, I've read that a lot of, uh, butchers, uh, use them for, uh, for cooking because they're so strong that they can cut through bone and stuff like that. And, um, but, but dressing game and stuff like that in the wild. I, I really love this one because my um, grandfather inscribed his, uh, name on it. That's fantastic. And so, um, if, uh, you've never, you might have no need for a six and a half inch buck knife, yes. but, uh, but there's something really awesome, um, about Absolutely. this, there's, uh, there's something about men and blades. We just love blades. That's you know, right. I, I, I've always wanted uh, a sword, yeah. <laughs> even though I have no use for that, but, uh, it's, it's just something about a blade. And also we were talking before the show how, Cared for well, that life, that knife could literally last like a couple hundred years. Yeah. I mean, there's, 
it's indestructible. That's so, exactly right. And uh, it's you can already, hand that down for generations. That's right, and it's already getting that nice aged, sort of weathered patina on the on the blade and everything. So it's um, uh, it's definitely, uh, I guess, an heirloom to a degree, and and something that I'm uh, very proud to have in my possession. Um, well, thank you again for joining us, and as we always remind, be a man, be a saint. Thank you.